What the Word of God is saying. And if you're joining us online right now, we are so grateful that, that you are joining into what God is doing here at Shades. We've been walking through a study in First Peter over the last few weeks, and we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. So we'll begin in verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1. But before we look at the Scripture, can we just celebrate what we've been able to experience together this morning and the testimony we saw through baptism and just lifting our voices? This is a good, good gift, a good gift to be a part of. So grateful for what God is doing. All right, that church, I'd like to invite you now, if you would stand back up. I know you just were seated, but stand back up with me for the reading of God's word. And, and if you're new to Shades and you're wondering, okay, why are we standing back up? We do this each week. When we turn our attention to the scripture, we stand at the reading of God's word. And here's why. The word of God is the foundation that the people of God stand upon. The word of God is the solid rock, unchanging, infallible, inerrant foundation underneath the feet of the church of Jesus Christ. And so we stand on the word of God out of reverence to the Holy Scripture, but also believing Believing that the word deserves our attention because it's through the word of God that God shows us what is right and good and true. So all around the room as we stand, we turn our attention to this holy scripture. And this is what we see, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, the spirit of God divinely speaking through the apostle Peter says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the word of truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then here Peter quotes from the old covenant, from the prophet Isaiah, he says this, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Verse 25, and this word is the good news that was preached to you, church, today we get to look at good news proclaimed to us through the word of God. I want to ask you to pray with me and then we'll be seated after this prayer. But let's just pray together that God would use this time that he has set apart for us to encounter his word, that he would use this to speak into our lives. So I want to ask you to pray that with me as I pray over us right now. Let's pray. Father, we come before you needing to hear from the living God. We come before you believing God that you desire to speak into our lives, desiring to, to show us something we need to see on this day. And so Lord, I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move among your people, move among all who are gathered together today and show us what we need to see through your word. Pray that we would not be the same as a result of that which you say. So use this time for your glory. This is our prayer. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing with me. Before we step back into 1 Peter here this morning, I just want to acknowledge that, that this week, 
Two very significant Christian leaders in our context both went home to be with the Lord. Many of you, I'm sure, heard the news report Thursday of Dr. Harry Reeder, who's the longtime pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian here in town in our community. And Dr. Reeder was an incredible pastor, an incredible Christian leader, passionate about the gospel. But I, but I want to say personally what a gift Dr. Reeder was to me. As a new pastor here in town over the last couple of years, Dr. Reeder very graciously had lunch with me a couple of times and, and, and just shared encouragement with me and, and prayed over me and, and really was a tremendous gift to be around. And, and I just want to ask you to be praying for our brothers and sisters at Briarwood right now, this weekend, today. This is a very challenging weekend. And there is hope because of the gospel. There is hope because we know where Dr. Reeder is, but it is challenging for a church to, to tragically lose their pastor. Please be praying for the people of Briarwood right now and pray that God would be glorified through it all. Then, then on Friday, Dr. Timothy Keller, who has been very influential in the life of many through his, through his writing, through his speaking, longtime pastor of Redeemer in Manhattan, New York, went home to be with the Lord after a long battle with pancreatic cancer. And, and I can tell you, as your pastor, Dr. Keller had a tremendous influence in my life. I'm, I'm pretty confident that I've quoted him more than anyone else in my preaching over the last 20 years or so. And, and really, Dr. Keller had, had this way of, of discipling an entire generation of pastors pointing us to the gospel, showing us the beauty of the finished work of Christ. And I, I believe that the church is, is honestly better because of the ministry of Dr. Keller. And so I just ask that you pray again for his family and for those who knew him and loved him well. I'm so grateful for the gospel influence of these men. And I feel like it's, it's only appropriate to begin this sermon now with a quote from Dr. Timothy Keller that, that has meant a lot to me in my journey of faith. This is a quote that I read years ago. One of the first things I, I read from Dr. Keller is this small little book called The, the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And he writes this in this book and it relates to our text here today. So I wanna share it as we step back into 1 Peter chapter one. He writes this, do you realize that it's only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get the verdict before the performance? It's not the performance that leads to the verdict. In Christianity, the moment we believe God imputes Christ's perfect performance to us as if it were our own and adopts us into his family. In other words, God can say to us, just as he once said to Christ, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This is good, good news. And this is such important good news to understand as we step into 1 Peter chapter 1, specifically verse 22, because in this verse, Peter begins to talk to us about obedience. 
There is a call to obedience throughout the word of God for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, for those who are the people of God. The church of Jesus Christ is called to live a life of obedience. But here's the reality. Many times we hear that. This may even be your experience. We hear this call to obedience and we think, okay, I've got to do all these things so that God will love me. I've got to do all these things and and obey all these rules so that I can prove I'm good enough for God's love. I've got to earn my way into being worthy of God's love. And the gospel says nothing could be further from the truth. For in the good news of the gospel, the performance has already happened. That's what Christ has done. In the good news of the gospel, the verdict is already in. If you are in Christ, God looks at your life and he does not say, oh, I hope they get it all together so then I can love them. I hope they finally figure out how to make something of that mess of a story that they've been walking through so that then they'll be worthy of my love. No, that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says God looks at your life if you are in Christ and says you are mine. And with you I am well pleased, not because of what you have done, but because of what my son has done for you. So when we begin to talk about obedience, the, 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 the human nature in us begins to think about, okay, I've got I've to make my to-do list. I've got I've to check all these boxes. I've got to make sure I get everything in line and everything in order so that I will be worthy of God's love. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says, no, that can never happen for you. You'll never be able to clean your life up enough. You'll never be able to perform enough. You'll never be obedient enough to be worthy of God's love. So that means the call to obedience is actually a call to worship. It's a call to respond to the love that God has displayed through the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross, the call to obedience is to be a response to the love and the grace that we have received through the good news of the gospel. And it's so important that we understand this because look back at what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So Peter, are you saying I've got to clean my life up through obedience? I've got to somehow purify my life to be worthy of God's love? That's not what we're seeing here. What Peter is saying here is yes, obedience purifies your life, but not because obedience causes you to be worthy of God's love. Obedience purifies your life because obedience causes you to grow to become more like Christ. The more you worship in gratitude what you have been given in the good news of the gospel, the more you walk in obedience as a response, not, not in an attempt to prove you're, you're worthy, but, but as a response to what God has done for you through Christ, the more your life will begin to look like Christ. And as a result, the more your life will be purified. 
through obedience. As you become a reflection, a testimony, a picture of the good news that you have received. So Peter is showing the church here something that is so important to understand. The obedience that God calls us to in his word, it's to be an obedience that focuses on the finished work of Christ and flows out of what we have received so that our life can point back to the one who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Obedience that is a response to the gospel is an obedience that will purify our lives as we become more and more like Christ. But, but there's a contrast here, and there's a contrast that shows up throughout the scripture. And it's important that we understand the contrast. The contrast is actually this. If, if you are seeking to obey to prove your worth to God, if you are seeking to, to clean up your life, to, to show that you are worthy of God's love, if, you, if you've created this little list of, of morality and the, there's the things you need to do to be seen as a good moral person in the sight of God, to be worthy of his love. If that's what you're doing right now, please hear this. Your attempts at obedience can actually contaminate your soul. While obedience as a response to the gospel will purify your soul, if you're attempting to obey to prove your worth or to prove you're good enough, your attempts at obedience can actually contaminate your soul. And here's why. Here's why. Because if you're trying to be obedient to God's word in an attempt to prove that you're worthy, to prove that you're good enough without saying it, you may actually be saying, you know what? Jesus, I don't need you. I'm gonna handle this my own. I'm gonna clean up my life on my own. I'm gonna perform on my own. Jesus, I don't need you. I will save myself through my right living, through my performance. And if that begins to be the posture of our heart and the posture of our life, it actually takes us further away from God because it makes it all about us and says, we don't need the gospel. We don't need what Christ has done. The cross was actually a, a colossal waste of time because I'm going to perform my way and prove that I'm good enough on my own. It actually becomes anti-gospel. It's actually one of the things that Jesus speaks the most strongly about. The whole chapter of this in Matthew's gospel is as Jesus is addressing this attempt to obey the law in an effort to prove righteousness or prove I'm good enough or prove I'm worthy of God's love. I want to give you a brief example of this in Matthew chapter 23. We'll come right back to 1 Peter. Look, look at Matthew 23 and this is so important. 
especially in, in, in our context here, especially where many people say, yeah, 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 I go to church or, or yeah, I'm religious, uh, but, but really I'm just doing it to check the box. I'm just doing it because it's, it's the right thing to do in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm just doing it because that's what my, my mom and dad did or my grandparents did. I'm just doing it because I think that's, that's what makes you a decent person. Jesus has this warning to a group of religious people he says this in Matthew 25, beginning verse, or excuse me, 23, beginning in verse 25, chapter 23, beginning in verse 25. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And listen to this. So you also outwardly appear righteous before others but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These are some hard words. These are some very hard words to a religious crowd. And Jesus is, is, is saying, I want, you, I want you to understand very clearly, there is a danger in religion that you are going to make religion, you are going to make your faith all about you. You're going to make your faith all about your performance. And, and, and here's the thing. This is why it's so dangerous. Because some of the people that may be sitting around you or some of the people that may live on your street, they look at your life and they say, so righteous. What a good person. What a great citizen. What a good religious deed that was. And on the outside, it could appear righteous, but on the inside, hypocrisy and lawlessness. And, and here's what Jesus is reminding us, this is, and this is so, so powerful. And, and please hear this. I know it sounds, it sounds a little harsh in the words of Jesus. They're strong, but this is beautiful because Jesus is giving clarity here. This is so good what Jesus is doing. He's saying, look, I don't want you to be confused. Because sometimes we have a tendency to forget. Jesus saying, you're not God. I know, I, I know that's shocking. I know all of you are going, man, I'm glad I came to church today to hear that. But that's what Jesus is saying, you're not God. And compared to a holy and righteous God, your performance, it's, it's actually pathetic. It actually... It doesn't even come close to, it's actually not even the same, in the same universe that's trying to measure up with the holiness of God. It actually, it can't even, can't even exist in the same context of trying to measure up to the holiness of God. Your, your best performance on your best day is still completely full of, according to Jesus, hypocrisy and lawlessness and greed and self-indulgence. Like that's, that's the inside on our best day. If it's up to us and if this is about us proving our worth to God. And so Jesus says, look, you, you need a savior. 
You're focused on performing on the outside. I'm telling you, you need to look at the inside. You, you, you need to be willing to, to be honest about what's going on in the heart. You need to recognize your need for a savior. And when you do, when you do and you receive the good news of the gospel and you receive the perfect performance of Christ on your behalf, when you do, then this call to obedience, it actually becomes joy. It's not a burden. The, the reason the call to obedience sometimes feels like a burden is because we know intuitively we can't do it all. We can't measure up. Even though we're trying to check all the boxes, we know there are things we're not doing right. There are things where we're falling short. And Jesus is saying, I, I want you to be free. I want you to be free to run with endurance, to, to be obedient as an act of worship, to, to, to invite obedience to purify your life because it's a response in worship and gratitude to what you have received in the good news of the gospel. Yes, obedience purifies, but it is an obedience that flows out of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, as we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, we, we are reminded as well that obedience is not just about us. Obedience actually impacts those around us. Well, we see this if you look back at verse 22 and 23. This, this really is what Peter is calling the church to here through obedience. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter is reminding us here that our, that our obedience, this call to obedience, it's a call to live in such a way in response to what we've received that it begins to impact those around us. And here Peter is addressing one of the, one of the great themes of, of the Christian faith, the, the topic of love. And, and Peter is reminding us because I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of this. Christians are to be known for love. That, that is what we are to be known for. That's to be the defining characteristic of the Christian life, that we are to be known for our love. Why is that? because we've been called to obedience that flows out of the finished work of Christ. What does the finished work of Christ show us? The finished work of Christ shows us the love of God. It shows us the links that God was willing to go to reveal his love to us. This really points to the most famous verse in all of the scripture, John 3.16. Anybody ever memorized John 3.16? Have you heard that one before? I know some of you are like, oh gosh, I'm supposed to. I think I can get it right. John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world. That, that's the theme here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Jesus went to the cross out of perfect love for the Father in obedience to the Father and to demonstrate the perfect love of the Father to you and to me. For God so loved the world that he gave. The gift of the cross is the gift of love. 
The cross is the ultimate expression of the love of God on display for you and for me. And so Peter picks up on that. He was a, a, a disciple of Jesus, an apostle that, that heard what Jesus said and walked with Jesus and watched the way Jesus interacted with people, even difficult people, even people who were against him, even people who are very hard to love, even people who are on the other side of the aisle of an issue from him. And Peter saw over and over again that Jesus responded to people with love. And Peter saw the gift of love on display through the cross. And Peter heard the call that Jesus gave to his disciples in John 13 that love is to be the defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus. Look at that with me. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then Jesus says this amazing statement. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let me just ask you right now, like a little personal inventory. What are you known for? What are you known for? And I'm not just asking you to think about, you know, the people who like really think you're awesome. Like, what are you known for? How about this? What are you known for by the people who disagree with you? How would they describe your life? What are you known for in the, in the things you post on social media? Whole lot of love on social media, right? What are you known for in what you post? What, what are you known for by the people who are hard to love? Maybe those who've hurt you, maybe those who have wronged you. Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That, that, that question is a hard one. What are you known for by, by those who are hard to love? And yet, isn't that exactly what the gospel reveals to us about the love of God? You know, the gospel shows us what God is known for by those who are hard to love. You know who's hard to love? You are. I am. We are hard to love. Some of y'all are a lot harder to love than others. But we are all in the category of hard to love. And the gospel shows us the love of God towards people who are hard to love. That's, that's Romans chapter five, verse eight. This is, this is the verse that really sums up the gospel, if you will. God shows his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is, this is God's love towards those who are difficult to love in our, most, in our most unlovable moments. Students hear this. In your most despicable thoughts, in your most rebellious decisions, God shows his love for us and that while we were in the midst of that sin, 
And in the midst of that moment or that season when we were so hard to love, Christ died for us. And this is the love that's on display at the cross. And this is the love that we have been called to. And this is the love that fuels our obedience. And this is the love that begins to impact those around us when our focus is on the love that we have received through what Christ has done. The good news of the gospel. Peter reminds us again of the, this beautiful gift of the gospel at the end of verse 23. And I just want to take a moment to key in on that before we move forward. The end of verse 23 says, you have been born again. This is if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable. This is another way of saying, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Perishable seed. Born again becomes an imperishable seed. I was driving in my truck this week and I came up to a, to a traffic light and, and I was the, the first uh, vehicle in the line. So I'm stopped at the red light and I just kind of glanced over at the median beside me, uh, at the side of the road there. And the sprinkler system was going off. This was the middle of the day. And it, it kind of caught my attention because we've had a lot of rain this week. You know, and I'm like, well, that's, that's so interesting that they're, they're watering right now after all the rain that we've had. But obviously it was on a timer or something. But, but so I kept looking for a moment. And I was like, well, that's, that's really fascinating because the only thing that was in that median was pine straw. And so the sprinkler system is going full power, watering the pine straw. Now, I, I don't know a lot about landscaping. I, I, I really don't. You could probably see that if you came and looked at our yard. Um, but here's what I do know about landscaping. Here's what I definitely know about pine straw. Pine straw is dead. It's dead. And it's actually decomposing. That's why we have to lay out more pine straw. That, that vibrant, deep brown color that we want our pine straw to be. I want you to know that's actually the color of death, okay? And it really, if you stop and think about it, it doesn't make any sense that we do this. Because all winter long, we are, we are looking at brown dormant grass everywhere. And we are seeing brown trees with no green leaves on them. And we long for spring, for new life, for, for green to begin popping out. And when the green starts to pop out, we lay dead pine straw in our yard. What is wrong with us? We all need help, right? But so I was, I was looking at this. I'm like watering the pine straw. And this is such an exercise in futility. Like no growth is going to come from something that is dead, that, that is perishable. And I begin to think about how often somebody may be talking about a friend or a neighbor or a family member and say something like this. You know, he, he seems like a, a, a pretty good guy and he shows up at church from time to time But you know, he really is self-consumed and self-absorbed and only seems to care about himself. Or maybe you've heard it said this way, you know, he, he seems like a really nice guy. He, he shows up at church from time to time, but the, but the only time he ever talks about God is when he's really ticked off and he gets creative with God's name. 
Or maybe she seems like a really nice lady and she attends Bible study every once in a while, but man, the way she talks about other people, the way she seems to love gossip, what is being said in those statements? What's being said is, They seem like a nice person. They may even say they're a Christian. They may even attend church, but there's no evidence of new life. And all of their effort at being a good person, it's like water in the pine straw. And they may come to church from time to time. They may attend a Bible study from time to time. They may be a decent, good citizen. They may, they may try to be a, a moral, kind neighbor. But the reality is they're just, they're just water in the pine straw. And there's no fruit. And there's no new life. And the word of God is saying to us the only way that there can be new life. The only way that there can be real life, the only way that there can be eternal life is if that life, according to the scripture, is born again. Receiving this gift of what what Christ has done, where, where the perishable gets replaced by what is imperishable, where the pine straw gets, gets pulled off and new life grows right there. And that's something only God can do. No amount of works can do that. No amount of religious deeds can do that. No amount of church attendance can do that. No amount of of performance can do that. The only way that can happen is if, if new life is given through the gift of Christ and received by grace through faith as one who has been born again. Are you just watering the pine straw? Is there, is there evidence of, of Christ alive in you? Is there evidence of, of fruit because of, of new life in Christ? Has the, has the old gone and the new come in such a way that, 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 that those around you see through, through your actions, through your words, through your love, that, that there is evidence of life in Christ? Or are you just watering the pine straw? Peter then says, as we close this, this passage here and close this message, uh, a quote from the prophet Isaiah. This is from Isaiah chapter 40. And Peter is saying, look, life is too short to just be watering the pine straw. That's my interpretation. Peter's saying life is too short, so, so receive what will truly last because that's what you're being offered. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah where it says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass and the grass withers and the flower fails. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And then Peter adds to it. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now it's important to understand when when Peter's quoting from Isaiah, Isaiah right before Isaiah 40, these verses that, that Peter quotes, right before that, Isaiah was talking about the judgment that the that the people of God deserve because they've been living in rebellion, they have been they have been worshiping idols, they have been going away from God in all their actions. And as Peter quotes from Isaiah, 
He knows that Isaiah, after, after saying the people of God deserve the judgment of God, and this life that we live is fragile and it is brief, Isaiah then says to the people of God, so build your life on what will actually last. And Peter says to the people of God, so build your life on what will actually last. The word of the Lord remains forever. And the word of the Lord is what reveals the good news of the gospel to you. The word of the Lord is what shows us who we really are and what we really need. And the word of the Lord is what shows us what God has done for us in the midst of our need, in coming in the flesh to, to live a life without sin, and to go to the cross as the perfect and spotless lamb as we talked about last week from verse Peter and to, to give his life so that we could be forgiven and covered in grace, called a new creation through the blood that was shed for you and for me. Have you received that gift? Are you watering the pine straw or or are you worshiping in obedience and in response to the new life that you have received that is the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen? May we see this call to obedience as an invitation to evaluate what we're really known for and why we do what we do so that we can then take stock and say, okay, the call to obedience is not about me proving my worth, it's about me responding to the one who is worthy. And the call to be known for love is not again about proving I'm good enough, but pointing to the one who is. For it is the love of God through Christ Jesus that those around us really need to see. And this is the call to obedience. Stop watering the pine straw and live in response to the gift of the gospel that offers you and me new life. Let me pray for us as I close. Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so thankful for the, the Holy Spirit that brings the word to life in us, brings the word to life as we gather. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you show us, even when it's hard, you show us what we need to see. And so Lord, I, I pray that we would be honest with, with ourselves and with you and, and evaluate what, why do we do the things that we do? Why are we seeking to obey? Father, I pray that we would stop and we would evaluate what is it that we are known for? Are, are we really known for love? Father, how grateful I am that where we are weak, you are strong. Where, where we are insufficient, you are all sufficient. Father, how grateful I am that where we have failed, your grace abounds. 
And we praise you for the good news of the gospel that brings about new life. And I pray for everyone among us who, who today might realize that they have never received this, this good news of the gospel in a personal way, in a, in a, in a way that actually creates new life in them, that, that they become a new creation. Maybe they've heard the gospel. Maybe they've, they've, they've given a head nod to Jesus. Maybe, maybe they've been going through the religious motions, but, but today they realize they've really just been watering the pine straw and, and they're saying, okay, I, I want real life. I want new life. I want eternal life. So Father, I pray, I pray that you would give them the faith respond to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to trust you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And I'm ready to trust you. I'm ready to to move from living for for the things that are imperishable to, to living for the things that are imperishable. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give me this gift of salvation. Oh, we praise you, Lord. We praise you for the gift of salvation. And we pray that we would live in response as your people to that which we have received. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.